welcome to the Area 61 Podcast, where we explore the unknown. Welcome everybody to the first episode of the Area 61 Podcast. I am your host, Brenton Birdall, and I am joined by a very interesting group of people this evening. Uh, to my left, we have the one and only very mysterious Dr. B. We have, what did we decide on? Athena. Athena. We have Athena to the right. Um, across from her, we have, what are you calling yourself here? Thor. We have Thor. We'd like to welcome you to uh, the very first episode of Area 61, a podcast having to do with, and only with, the area of 61. The northern shore of Lake Superior, where weird things happen that we can't explain. That's why we're here to try to figure out what those things are, to try to put the facts together, and maybe entertain you in the process. So, um, we, uh, I've been coming to the North Shore now for about two and a half years, and some of the things that have been brought to my attention just by being here, and anyone that listens to the podcast will probably know we have a few other, we have a few other podcasts and a couple other channels. So I felt that this area alone. There's enough stories that I've heard in the last two years to make a podcast twice over. We have a couple first-time podcasters. Actually, everyone but me. <laughs> this is their first time podcasting. So welcome, Dr. B. Brent, it, it's a pleasure to be here it's with you. It's a pleasure you. to have you. Uh, you know, I, uh, I've been interested in this area and interested in extraterrestrial activities, uh, UFOs uh, for the past 25 years. And uh, I'm proud to uh, head up the uh, Lutzen Institute of uh, Extraterrestrial Studies here in Lutzen. Um, and our staff is uh, dedicated to exploring the uh, occurrences and uh, reporting of uh, extraterrestrial activities as well as UFO sightings. Well, the first thing we need to talk about isn't even out of this world. It's in this world and on this world. And that is black flies. As we came up the long road to the, the secret area in which, what we call it, we'll, we'll call it the secret mountain studio. That's what we're calling where we are right now. As we were coming up the road, we seen you working on a few projects in your yard. So we decided to pull in and say hi to you. And we were quickly ambushed by tens of thousands of black flies. So this is something that you guys deal with every year. This is a spring thing. This is, are, do they stay here all summer? It's primarily a late May, early mid-June event. Essentially what you said was, I dug up the land and now the flies came. Yep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, uh, oh, I can't goes hand that. in hand. When you uh, disturb the soil this time of year. Um, I did a little bit of research. So black flies, biting midges, flying teeth, no sam gnats. There are actually 40 different species of flies that uh, you guys are dealing with in northern Minnesota. Um, and only four of them bite. And of those four, only the females bite. <laughs> They're uh, attracted to, and, and uh, Thor brought this to my attention earlier, they, um, and I've always known mosquitoes, I know mosquitoes coming from central North Dakota, right? And uh, mosquitoes are kind of the only thing we knew. And we knew that mosquitoes, they pretty much spawn in stagnant water, but it's the exact opposite for black flies. They come from rushing water. Black flies spawn in rushing water. But the good news is for everyone up in the in the Lake Superior North Shore region is that it is a good indication that your streams are very healthy because if your streams were polluted in any way, they would not be able to sustain the life of 40 species of small black biting flies. 
So technically, it's kind of a it's kind of a good thing that you have flies. So I mean, you're kind of screwed either way. Like Thor was saying, if if you don't have running water, you get mosquitoes, and if you have running water, then we get black flies. So I seen you with a net on your head, and I was like, this is crazy. Like you're just living your life. It's they had nets at the gas stations and and all the um, all the shops that we went to. Pretty much, they all had biting fly nets. It's just kind of a way of life for a couple years. Or, I mean, for a couple months. For you guys, wouldn't you say? Well, I think it, it's black fly, mosquito, then mosquito noceums. Yep. And then hopefully you make it to September and, and life gets good again. Yeah, once you get through bleeding and you've been through your third blood transfer, you, you <laughs> yeah. can go on. Yeah. <laughs> so what we want to do with Area 61 is there's – I've been hearing crazy stories since the day that we've been up here. Um, from Thor, from Athena, from the neighbors, from Dr. B's – there's a theory that this is kind of like a pathway. Yeah. Well, the neighbors have told us that because there's a creek that runs through the property. And a lot of the old timers that have lived here their, all, their whole life, they've loved it and it's such a great place to live, that when they die, they don't want to leave. And this all stemmed from me having the craziest dreams of my life when we come to stay here. I am not a dreamer. I don't dream vividly. Um, my, my dreams are few and far between. But every time I stay here, I have the most vivid dreams that I've ever had. And it, I mean, there's, I've, I stay all over the United States and I've never experienced the dreams that I've had staying here. And that's kind of how the whole conversation started. I was like, man, I've been having some weird dreams here. And they're like, oh, we've heard it before. Everyone that comes here has crazy dreams, you know, and it, it's not the food. I don't think, you know, we're so it's the mushroom soup. <laughs> So it started with the dreams. I was like, that's the first experience. I've never been anywhere near here, okay, until I met my wife. And then we ended up coming up here and, and meeting everyone. Um, and I I instantly knew the night I, the first night I stayed here. I was like, I've never had a dream like that. I could control myself. Like, I could make decisions in my dream. That's really weird. I brought that up to Athena. And she's like, well, you're in the gateway. Tell me more about this. So you were you heard this in church? Question mark? No, or? well, we've heard, well, I guess maybe. It's kind of just a, uh, but it's, a na- it's a neighborhood thing. Right. That, that people say that because the people that have grown up here and lived here and have died here don't want to leave. And so it's that kind of like gateway, their transitional time that's like. They don't know they're gone. Right. And, and with waterways and everything else that they're just kind of hanging out. And even though we've had incidents, none of them have been bad incidents they've not been but there have been incidents there's been incidents but they're not like scary disturbing please please do tell (laughs) tell us i mean just even just one of them well i'm gonna i'm gonna elaborate on one of the first ones that we really have never figured out and this was the day that dr b came up here for the first time to experience the winter and it's early January, and I walk out the door, and I meet Dr. B, and shortly after that, Athena looks at me, and she says, why is that gate open? I said, well, it wasn't open when I went out there. Well, it's open now. So we walk back, and here's this gate that's hooked shut. This is on the back corner of this your property. Is, this is on the back property. Next, I've been here for years. I've next, never gone back there. Next to the creek. Okay, and there's two creeks that flow back there, and they converge about 50 feet from. Anyway, we get back there, and 
So if the gate is open, it's there's about a foot of snow on the ground. The gate is open against the grain, against gravity, and there is not a foot track, nothing to indicate why that gate would open. So I thought to myself, you know what, I'll fix that. I'll go shut that gate and I'll wire it shut. Well, Dr. B and I went out on the trails and spent the afternoon on the trails and came home and guess what? Gate was open. Wire was broken. The and same day that you... Same very day and not a foot track other than the ones that I was there. And there's no way the wind could have done this. Not a possible way. Hmm. Not a possible It was linked shut with a hook and wired shut. What's that conversation sound like when you come back and things open and the, and the wire is broken? Well, that wasn't the first time, I'm going to tell you, because one time Athena came home from work shortly after we moved into this home, and all of the bolts had been removed from the garage door. And she went out in, out of the garage only to find the gate wide open. Again. This was prior to, I'm going to have to go back, because this was prior to Dr. B coming up. This was this is when you guys first came up here. Right. So Athena, a little concerned that maybe somebody had been maybe breaking in the house, so she went and got one of the neighbors and said, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned that maybe somebody's messing with me or in the house. Yeah, and, new people moving up the yeah, hill. You yeah. know, it's a small community. But lo and behold, he says, well, I don't really think there's anything to worry about. So she opened the house. Everything was good. But that was the first time that gate opened. And then the next time was the first time Dr. B came. And That's the next correlation with the gate. You had no other issues gate. with the gate? No other issues. But So, that, you, so you essentially came out and, and the, there were bolts missing from? The door. All four bolts miss, holding the garage door in were removed. And... The door wouldn't open, obviously. How long do you think it would take you to remove those bolts? 10 minutes? Yeah, 10, 15 minutes. With some pretty, I mean, with, with some tools. It's not like something yeah. that someone could do with their hands. Correct. This was right when you guys first moved here. Correct. <laughs> I mean, what are you thinking? Like, oh, okay, we'll just, it's, these are the things that we're talking about, and this, this is kind of where this all stemmed from, is how many weird things can happen to you before you have to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. Luckily, you probably haven't had too many things like that, but. But that's what I'm saying. It's like the gateway. It's this place. It's magical. It's special. It's dangerous. It's weird. You know, um, I would have been freaked out. I don't really know how I would have, you know, obviously you have to just get past it. But like, what are you going to do? Are you going to move? Not going to move, but you always think about it. You do, right? When, did, I, I would say that's where I wish I had a camera to right. see what happened. And maybe, I would like to see that gate open. How that gate opened on its own. So this is twice so, in one day. So the gate's the common denominator that we've had some weird things happening. And any, anytime anything happens on the property that's weird, the back gate just happens to be open. Yep. It's not much of a fence. If I were a ghost, I would just jump it. Yeah. But, you know? but that's not been a deterrent for you. No. Absolutely not. Not at no. all. But it's been a wonder. It's a deterrent for me at 2 o'clock in the morning when I forget shit in the car and I run out there like a little scared <laughs> child. You know, like it's like a, like I told him, this whole area at night is the longest dark staircase out of a basement that you've ever been up. I mean, you you had just had bears on your property. It's very dark. <laughs> I, 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 I can truthfully say, though, I don't think I've ever really been fearful of walking around here. Maybe, Only maybe the time. wolf. Maybe the wolf thing. The wolf incident, yeah. 
But not the bears. It's a different breed of people up here. We're from the city, you know? We think you guys are crazy. You learn to whistle real well in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Going with it. I'm, I'm afraid I'm afraid of the unknown. Like, I can handle the... <laughs> no, I, 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 I think it's hillbilly. extremely safe here. Mm. I mean, Until your gate pops open that you wired <laughs> shut and your damn garage door opener is freaking tampered with. Have you ever had any weird things happen in your house? No. I was relaying the story about my walk, my circle walk that was, uh, yeah, that which was totally strange. That is strange, and that's not. But uh, no. okay, let's tell us about that because I, you were telling me about this when we were fighting the flies, right? I had a hat on, you had a net, and I was just <laughs> waving the black flies, forty species, only the females bite, and they were all females, and I was waving them in front of my face as you were telling me, you got lost. In a place that is very hard to get lost in. Basically, yes. I, uh, I mean, how? how? I, essentially, I, I, you're on a hill, right? Tell well, us the story here. I was just trying to establish that uh, we had acquired some some additional property and uh, the the western Congratulations. border. Congratulations on your land. <laughs> Thank you very much. Acquire. Thank you. Thank you very much. Only champions by land. So the uh, western border that's hadn't officially been surveyed, and uh, I, through the adjacent properties, figured I could figure out where this border would be, and we could uh, kind of make a makeshift determination. You're um, surveying the land that you just purchased. Right. So I looked at a county plot and uh, looked at those maps and looked at adjacent properties on where their property lines fell. And uh, so uh, went on the property that was south of, of us, and, uh, you know, it was well surveyed out with tape and markers, and uh, my property was north of this, and uh, I headed north and uh, found the property line uh, of, of that individual. Then I moved to the, what I believe, the west and found the western boundary of it, which would have been my south western corner and then i proceeded to walk north which would be very much uphill because they live on a there is absolutely yeah and and we're not talking you know there's it's just north head to the right which would be east and i find another which would be north again and in in long story short uh i believe that i'm getting to the proper place and proper location and uh, I finally come out of the woods, and I am at the other end of – I'm south of where I started. So you are you pretty much walked onto Highway 61. I – yeah. When you should have been – I should have been – I should have been at least a mile up the hill, and I come up south of where I started. Did anything stand out from your journey? I mean, did, anything weird? I mean, did you mark the sun? Were you using this? No, it was it was it was raining that day. And so you're uh, on the rain. You know, and, and that's I, creepy. I've taken orienteering in, in military. So I, you know I, I yeah. know how to use a compass. And I thought this was a no brainer based on uh, what what the prior surveying had been done. And, and in just, essence I did a circle and I can't explain it because even my turns would not support a circle. I constantly feel I could have navigated your path 10 times. Like, and I'm not confident in my 
even abilities. I mean, I know my directions, right? But yeah. just to put it into perspective, I feel like I could have found his westernmost post, his northwesternmost post. That's it. And come home. And you're out there in the rain, which is crazy. You just decided. Did you get rained on? As did you leave while it was nice, and then got rained on? No, it, it was it was one of those uh, overcast and inversion layered uh, drizzly days. Uh, kind of the uh, Irish rain. Was there at any point? Did you have a cell phone? Yeah, oh, I bet so I, you were fine. I mean, I, if if you would look at where the property was, I mean, it's you just forty acres next door. Right. Uh, uh, Athena and uh, Thor could could find me with uh you know should be able to find me by just walking out there and what struck me weird when you told me this was that this is exactly how all of the stories 200 plus stories that are documented um in a documentary that we just watched recently everyone says when they have any bit of what would you call it contact they were in a place that they've been 10 times over they knew their path and then the next thing you know they were disoriented and lost so well, you know, as I say, the, the turns don't support where I ended up. Sure. You know, even if even if I was lost, the 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 there's just there's no way taking a right turn and going north. It's and uphill. Taking a, that's that's what I'm saying. Right. Uphill is north. It, so something it, happened that and day. To end up all the way down at the other end, uh, it, it was. Has anything it, weird happened shocking. to you since? Shocking. Uh, no. No, it hasn't. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's it's just one of those things I can't sort it out in my mind on how it actually ended up like that. Luckily, you ended up on 61. Because yeah. if you'd have got turned and pushed the other way, I mean, oh. Or even worse, I could be in Canada. <laughs> that would be the worst. You know who else took a wrong turn? The Edmund Fitzgerald. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Let's just soak it in real quick. Just Let's just hear a little bit of it. This is a number two hit, 1976, um, by Gordon Lightfoot called uh, The Wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald. Little history of the Edmund Fitzgerald. The Edmund Fitzgerald had a crew of 29 people. It left from Superior, Wisconsin in 1975 at 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, it was accompanied... By one other ship that left from Lake Superior yep. that were in contact the entire time. That would have been the Arthur M. Anderson. Essentially what they do is they mine iron ore from iron um, from the Iron Range. Yeah, go on. Yeah, tell us. Well, it, the iron ore industry has kind of been the heart lifeblood of this area for since its beginnings. Uh, and a lot of times in the 50s, these ships were being developed, and the, there was kind of a... Kind of a war between the United States and Canada, and who could have the biggest ship. And at the time, in nineteen, I think fifty-nine, uh, Edwin Fitzgerald was built, and it was the it was the pride of the American side, as it states in the song, because it was the big biggest ship on the lake, and it was it was the ultimate boat on on November November it was the, 9th. the Minnesotan Titanic. Yeah, and it was, it was a middle finger to the Canadians. Yeah, and we don't just say Minnesota because it was a Great Lakes freighter. I mean, sure. they, on the 9th of November, uh, Edmund Fitzgerald took off out of Superior, Wisconsin, and I believe Ed Arthur M. Anderson loaded up in uh, Two Harbors, Minnesota, on the, on the harbor. And they, uh, because of the weather conditions that were called upon, they were kind of, they were traveling about probably 
10 miles apart from one another. I mean, within, within visual of one another. They did that on purpose. They did that as a on safety purpose. As a safety issue, as, yeah. you know, as to travel that. And typically along in the November, the ships will travel the North Shore because the prevailing winds are out of the Northwest in Minnesota. So, they, you know, obviously you don't get as much waves coming across, coming right off the North Shore. So they travel that way and they can travel up to the, uh, the Isle Royale area and then they start making an eastward turn onto the lake. Well, that night it was kind of the perfect storm of, of wind and rain and there was a big system to the south, which, which was warm. And then there was another cold weather system that was coming out of the the Great Plains of North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska, and it was heading. They're converging on one another. And as as the Edmund Fitzgerald and the Arthur N. Anderson got past the Isle Royale area, the storm started really cooking up. And at the time, at the time, it was blowing from the northwest, and the ships were kind of having the the waves kind of coming in from behind them. And there was kind of at that point a little bit of a northwest push. Well, the waves got bigger and stronger, and all of a sudden you had 85-knot winds. And those ships are big ships. And but We're talking 85-mile-an-hour winds here. Yeah, like 85 knots. 85 knots, which right? is 1.1 yeah. miles per hour. So it's almost 100-mile-an-hour. Yeah, right. So what's the waves on that? So 16 have, to 18 feet, right? You had 25 footers by the oh, time. Oh, yeah, 25 footers. Yeah, you had 25 and a half foot waves on that night. And Arthur Anna Anderson had made contact with uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald at several times. They, they'd communicating with one another, and they were going along. And they were, they were kind of making their southward push down towards Whitefish Bay. And at that point, the waves were getting rough and the Edmund Fitzgerald was taking a beating and I'm sure the Arthur M. Anderson was as well. There was something wrong with the Edmund Fitzgerald and I don't know if they're aware of it. And this is only theory. There's many theories. There's many theories. Let's talk about the theories. The first theory is is that the Edmund Fitzgerald ran aground, okay? And that's what split it in half and then it sunk. You have to... He doesn't think this is true. You have to... Remember that they're in 500 feet of water, so running aground means your bow would have to push down 500 feet. Well, a I mean, thousand foot ship, right? But there was nothing. They were no. They weren't. Yeah. So that that goes out the door. They didn't run aground. It's weird right. that they even say that. That's you. You, you hear. You, I mean, there's a lot of people that have covered the story. It's an annual story that's covered in Duluth. They like to cover it every year, right? And one. And so that theory's gone, right? Was there any islands in the area? They know, I know the Isle of Royale is near. That they was, circled that. That's nowhere near that. They were probably 160 miles from Isle Royale when this all occurred. So that goes out the door, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the second, um, and I think this is the theory that, that you're talking about, there were structural known problems with the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, just that's how it broke in half. Essentially, just for a backstory, it's sitting in two pieces, 530 uh, feet under the surface of Lake Superior right now, 17 miles north of Whitefish Point. So as it sits, to, there's a buoy that says Edmunds Fitzgerald. Like that was creepy when we seen that. Like you could drive by and see a buoy. They have it buoyed off where it sits 530 feet below the surface in yeah. two pieces. One of the weird things about the Edmund Fitzgerald is that none of the crew members were ever recovered. Uh, that, I mean, 
with over 600 shipwrecks prior, um, that's kind of the thing that stands out is that they always found at least a portion of the crew. They never found any of the crew. Nothing this big had ever gone down on the Great Lakes. Okay. So this is like the Titanic of the Great Lakes, the unsinkable iron ore ship. This is a thousand foot ship. If you have ever been to the North Shore and you could come, if you haven't, um, you will drive by operation where they load these barges. The best way for me to explain it would be, I guess it's like compartments in the middle of a ship that it's like a big open bin. There's what, 20 of these bins? I'm not sure the number. But 20 or 30 of these bins. Uh, the bins are probably 15, 10 to 15 yards wide. They load what they turn iron ore into, which is like a shot or a bead. Um, taconite. Taconite, yeah, which is like this. If I the, When I seen it, I said it was like, that would, sh- that would shoot good out of a slingshot. That's about what I thought. Looks like a 50 caliber ball. 10, 15, 30 compartments of these ships. So they're heavily weighted down. 26,000 tons. That's, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's, what is that? 50, 60,000 pounds. One of the main theories of why it sunk is that these were not watertight and they filled up with water as they were taking on water from the side. And that's when it sunk. Is that what you think happened? Well, I think that is what happened. I think that the, the hatches were probably not cranked down properly, and there may have been maintenance issues on the hatches that maybe the seals weren't as tight as they should have been and under such duress and 25-foot waves. Now, you think of a, a regular building, which might have a roof line of you know, 12 feet, then you take that times two, and then you take that in the waves, and then on the Great Lakes, the waves are close together, and they'll beat you to death. 25-foot wave is... That's a big wave. I mean, that's let's just put that into perspective. A two-story home is what, 25 feet? Yeah, right? at, the, at the roof line. At the roof line, that's that's capsizing. That would take a house out. Yep, taking, going right over the roof. That makes much more sense than it ran aground. Yeah. They had communication with their the second boat up until like five or six minutes before they... They said, we're holding our own. And there was nothing heard from them a minute later. But why did they not recover anyone? I mean, maybe just... Out, I mean, it is Lake Superior, you know. It's deep, and it's at the time. 530 feet deep. Yeah. Even at the time, you know, the technology for diving at that depth was not the best. So, I, yeah, I mean, and I don't know much about all of that, but people will sink, right, at some point. They're not floating around. No. But how would they have found all – how is it – this is the question. This is why it's the mystery is how have they found past crew members of other boats – but they weren't able to find any of the members. That's what makes it kind of the novelty. Well, you know, that, that opens a lot of questions, doesn't it? It sure does. The night an Air Force jet mysteriously disappeared over Lake Superior, November 23rd, 1953, was a stormy one. Near the U.S.-Canadian border, U.S. Air Defense Command noticed a blip on the radar where it shouldn't have been. An unidentified object in restricted airspace over Lake Superior, not far from Sulox, the Great Lakes' most commercial gateway, an F-89C Scorpion jet from True Air Force Base in Madison, Wisconsin, took off nearby Kinross Air Force Base to investigate. With two crew members on board, First Lieutenant Felix Moncla, who had clocked over 811 flying hours, including 121 hours in a similar aircraft, 
took the pilot seat while Second Lieutenant Robert Wilson was observing radar. The men would not return from their intercept mission. What followed, according to uh, Donald Coho, a former Marine Naval... Um, oh, shit, I lost the story. I lost it. Because of the guy creeping in on the microphone. What's going on with the microphones? I know. There's something going on with their microphones right now. I don't hear anything. <laughs> I hear it. I do. And something just moved the computer. Like, my computer's wigging out. Oh, yeah, I believe it might be the scotch that's moving it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, you I'm might not, be right, Maggie. I'm not thinking no, that. I think but it might it be the scotch. I know, don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> what followed, according to Daniel Cahoe, the former Marine um, Marine Corps naval aviator and UFO researcher, researcher who wrote about the incident in his 1955 book, The Flying Saucer Conspiracy, was one of the strangest cases on record. Once airborne, Lieutenant Wilson had difficulty tracking the unknown object, which kept changing course. So with ground control directing the Avery, the aviators over the dang radio, the Scorpion gave chase. The jet traveling at 500 miles per hour pursued the object for 30 minutes, gradually closing in. On the ground, the radio, the radar app, on the ground, the radar operator guided the jet down from 25,000 feet to 7,000 feet, watching one blip chase another across the radar screen. Gradually, the jet caught up to the unknown object about 70 miles from Keweenaw Point in Upper Michigan in an altitude of 8,000 feet, approximately 160 miles north of the Sioux Locks. At that point, two radar blips converged into one, locking together. As Coho would put later, and then according to the official accident report, the radar returned from the F-89 simply disappeared from the ground-controlled interception station's radar scope. So, the blips, let's just put this into layman's terms. Let's, let's, let's take a moment for my terrible reading and just really just talk about this. So, this is what we know so far. We know that the jet took off intercepting a unknown object, which was we knew that by radar, which was uh, Army Corps of Engineers controlled airspace, which was over the Sioux Locks. Um, we know that um, the uh, the plane intercepted, chased it for thirty minutes, doing over five hundred miles an hour. That's two hundred fifty miles. Two hundred fifty miles that it chased it. Um, some of the theories that we've heard after researching this is that it could have been a Canadian cargo, a cargo C-47. C-47, which does nowhere near 500 miles an hour. Absolutely not. Um, later confirmed by the Canadian uh, avi- aviation and the Canadian government, um, they had no plane in that area and they had no pilot by that name in the area as well. Um the United States Air Force, United States Coast Guard, and Canadian Air Force conducted an extensive search and rescue effort. No record, no wreckage or sign of the pilots was ever found. Until, which we discovered today, tell them, Thor. In 2006, an independent crew... Out of Grand Marais, Minnesota. Out of Grand Marais, Minnesota, went out to... Uh, investigate what they thought might be the wreckage of this plane, and lo and behold, they did find at uh, 
I think believe they found the wreckage of the plane, the airplane that the uh, pilot was driving. But along with that, they found the wreckage of a disc-shaped object, which had never been identified in the past. So they identified the aircraft and a saucer-shaped air. Uh, excuse me, a saucer-shaped object. Object, correct. Which has never been taken from the lake. We have never heard any news stories about it. And this is, an, I mean, this story doesn't come up as often as the Fitzgerald story, right? Correct. 53 years. We're talking, what, 70-some years ago? It's it's not really, there. and I learned to, just, just from the um, research we've done for the podcast, there's been over 600 shipwrecks in Lake Superior. And you said that was attributed to the wooden boats prior, right? 600 shipwrecks, right? How many planes have gone down? They found this plane, which they claim is the plane, and a saucer-shaped object. How did we have to dig to the bounds of, the deep bounds of the internet to find this? I don't know what the sound is either that we're hearing. There's really no explanation for it. We are getting some weird stuff on. The gateway. We are in the gateway. What do you think happened? I believe this is one of the great stories of uh, UFO uh, occurrences in the Lake Superior area and the area that we're calling Area, area 61. 61. Obviously, it's a cover-up. They say that the pilot... Um, cr- what is that? <laughs> that do you hear be, that? That would be the famous Great Lakes Gator. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a gator. That would be the gator. This is the first for us. The gate and the Great Cackle Network and the, the gator Area gate. 61. We've never had microphone interference. Well, we're fully mobile. We're fully, fully wireless. We are in. Um, you are this now. Could in be psychic interference. It's occurring. This is this Area 61. This is Area 61. I'm a little bit weirded out. I got the sleep good tonight. Heebie-jeebies. I'm gonna sleep good tonight with crazy dreams. Right. Maybe now you know why the gates open on their own. That's right. Are you the gatekeeper? It was this exact moment that I felt unsafe, (laughs) that maybe I shouldn't have came here. I'm just joking. So, yeah, 1953, they lost a jet intercepting a UFO. The UFO and the jet came together in radar. Beep boop became one one beep boop bop, right? And the jet didn't come back. I'm guessing the UFO probably came back to their family, but the jet didn't. And they came up with some bullshit stories. Let's just be honest. Let's just break it down in layman's terms. Vertigo, 811 hours of flight, 200 hours in that plane. No. Vertigo on a, a night that had a little, no turbulence, a little bit of snow. They'd flown this 800 and, eight, 811 hours. Let's just put that into perspective. 800 there, hours. There's also in here conflicting stories reported to the widow of the pilot Correct. as to what is the nature of the death of her husband. So they gave her a Two pretty stories. much to be a stories, basically. They, yeah, which aren't true. Because they either knew or they didn't know. And everything's been redacted from record. We can't find any record. We can't find... Uh, well, this was a, a Project Blue Book, right? This In the 60s, the government... Um, was was it the CIA or or the federal government? We'll have to we'll we'll figure out more into this. But this is how we found out about the Project Blue Book. Was in the sixties they kind of were organized and a little bit more like I guess it would be like the beginning of the um, I guess the UFO 
government conspiracy. Like we have to give the people a little bit more answers because they're seeing these things. So they've created a program, which is Project Blue Book, which they shut down in 1967. This was one of those files and it made the file. I mean, this was weird enough. So about seven years ago, they released, the Pentagon released all of the UFO, um, I guess it was like a uh, database. Um, and you can still find it today. If you, if you Google UFO sighting database, um, they released a large amount of all these reports. I lived in Fargo at the time, uh, Fargo, North Dakota, and I looked up, because of Grand Forks Air Force Base, there's a hot spot right over Grand Forks. So you, you can go today and Google this site and they released all of the UFO or unidentified flying objects, or what do they call them now? They have a U-name, UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. That's the, that's the correct term now. That's what the Pentagon uses. That's what you'll hear on the news. That's kind of deflecting. A bit deflecting, I would say. Um, so it would be interesting to look up that incident and other incidents in this area, and that's what, kind of what we're going to do. Uh, <coughs> This is an introductory episode. Everyone's just trying to find their voice. No one really knows what we're doing yet. It's hard to walk into um, people that have never done anything like this and just say, hey, we're going to start a podcast and we're going to talk about paranormal shit. As we speak, there is weird shit happening on our recording. Like I'm saying, the dreams, the pathway, the things, this is a magical place. And that's why... We've decided to start this podcast. Um, there's just a feeling that you get. I wouldn't say that. I mean, you guys are comfortable here, but for outsiders coming in, sometimes you do feel a little bit like you're being watched. I would just say that. I mean, I, I get that vibe. Do you guys ever feel like that? The animals are always watching you. The bears. The bears are always watching. They were here first. They were. So are the geese, though. Screw the geese. I hate geese mosquitoes were here first let's put it clear right the mosquitoes own this land we have pushed the mosquitoes out of their land something weird is going on in this hill i don't know what it is like this is what i'm saying we don't know what this is the episode this is exploratory episode everyone can just be themselves i you know give her her the mic i think it's one of those deals though honestly there's some weird stuff going on here absolutely totally weird from a psychic from an extraterrestrial from a ufo from a but I think it's from being a resident there, exactly, I would hit you exactly there. That uh, do you think that's why there might be a spiritual connection? That I, I think either I, I I truly believe that when you come up here, you either get it or, or you, you don't. don't. And I get it. And some people do, and some people don't. Do you get that? Why the hell would you ever live on the North Shore of Lake Superior? And the other people are. This is the greatest place in the world. And you either you either click with it, and, and it's almost a spiritual. It's almost a psychic. You can call it whatever you want to call it, but you either get it or you don't. If this is a gateway for yeah. those people that have left but don't want to leave, yeah. And we accept that because nothing that we've ever encountered has been negative. I mean, it's like, okay, as long as you're here and you're doing or whatever is happening. And you're Follow not, the rules. And, yeah, and you're not, ma- I've never felt scared. Yeah, it's been yeah, weird. Never. But I've never felt scared and I've never felt threatened. Because you feel a part of it yeah. in a way. Yeah. You're not, you're not doing anything that would upset it, right? No. Correct. 
you said it best. Like when you get to Duluth and you see the North Shore sign, there's a bit of an ease that comes over you as you head up to oh, the North Shore. Sure. Yep. It seems like an ocean town. Like I've been on the East Coast. The East Coast vibe is we don't have a wharf, right? But it's like a wharf style East Coast vibe that you guys have. And it's but there's like the community is tight knit. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been on the East Coast? Like Connecticut? Sure. Very similar. As close as you can get. Really. Even more so the the immigrants from Scandinavia came to this area. My family. My ancestors. Came to the North Shore because it was like home to them. It was like it was like Norway. Right. They had the fishing. You know they had the big water and they had the hills and the stream. I've lived in Hawaii. I've lived in Oregon. I've lived in Georgia, coastal Georgia. And this weather, this daily climate, which is, is crazy, more unpredictable yeah. than any coastal climate. There's just something weird. The lake, the lake, in the way the weather rolls off that lake, and what it does to the weather here is something totally different than any other place I've ever been. Mother Nature reminds you in this place that she is in control more than any place you've ever been. That is like something, wouldn't you agree? Thor was fishing on Lake Superior on Tuesday. <laughs> Were you? <laughs> tell us. Tell the us wa- more. The water temperature was 33 degrees. Which is one degree above freezing. One degree above freezing, and it's the end of May. Yeah, and it's warm out. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you look at that lake, and you, you I, I wonder from, you know, I, was, I came from Ohio in Lake Erie, and Lake Erie is nothing like Lake Superior. Boo. It's the best football program in the country. I so agree. Just, I agree. Been so, there. But, you know, the point is that uh, uh, why don't you see all these boats out on a lake this size? And I think people, it's wisdom. They respect it. It's, respect. Sca- it's fear. And because uh, this lake, when it changes, it changes ugly and it changes fast. And it changes ugly even an hour and a half north of Duluth because people were, oh, yeah. the boat traffic in Duluth and the fishing shows and just well, like the anglers that are. What did we have this winter that where they had in Duluth that everybody was ice fishing and the, and the wind changed. And, and a huge part of the ice broke off. Well, they $30,000 or $70,000 worth of ice fishing stuff ended up in the middle of the lake because pickups. it blew out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The you DNR know, the and people were rescuing people. And, yeah. yeah. And that's just a change of Yeah, wind. shout out to Mav. He did a huge um, episode just raising money to give those guys back their equipment. Yeah, it's crazy. Keep on trucking, Mav. He's, he's a local YouTuber from Duluth. He does a lot of stuff up in um, up in the North Shore here. He's a Headed to Mexico right now. He's living out of an F-150. Um, he has been uh, for four months. Um, he's headed to, he's just headed to the border. He was in the Moab. And he's headed to Arizona. Excuse me. He's in Arizona, headed to Mexico. He's going to truck camp through Mexico for the summer. Which just kind of speaks to the toughness of the people that come from here. The locals, it, there's something about it. And it's it's a hard it's not easy to live here. Obviously, as yeah. when I walked up to you and you were trying to build your land, and you had a, and there was forty thousand black flies, sport forty species, only the females bite. Um, and I was like, "What are you guys doing?" <laughs> but I was like, "What are you doing?" I mean, are you gardening? And like, it's like there's a lot of people that would come up here and think that you guys are crazy, but um, I think it's great. Uh, you have to fight the landscape a little bit. Like I said, oh, oh, for sure. Mother Nature 
reminds you here that she's in control more than any other place I've ever been. I've been on the coast of Georgia, right? It's beautiful. Muddy shores, yep. you know, uh, hurricanes. Lowlands. Yeah. It's, it's, but northern Minnesota, not even northern Minnesota, just the North Shore, it's completely different. My friends are intrigued by where we go and the pictures that we take. Because they know that I didn't get in on a, I didn't I did not get on a plane. They're like, "Where are you? I don't understand these pictures that you're showing us. How are you there five hours from when I just last talked to you? They don't understand. But and I don't think people realize like well, the hidden gem that is the North Shore. You, you know the other interesting thing about the North Shore is and, and the Boundary Waters is the trees and the different types of trees right. at different locations and we we had the fire on the north shore but i've been going up the arrowhead yep. and there's there's a sign there with trees that are 185 years old and you go a little further up there there's beautiful birch beautiful birch not the we have a lot of dead birch in, in certain locations and then there's sections of pines up there and you, the you, tree diversity is what the you're saying. tree diversity is it's it's a crazy crazy diverse amount of, of, of vegetation in in, in tree I population. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that sound is. There's no one's touching anything. It is the gate gator. I don't know what it is. We can't describe the noise. I don't care. It's awesome. I mean, something weird's happening. Um, I didn't hear it. You can't hear it. Oh, no. It's like a weird like. Well, I've, I've, I've got scotch in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> So what brought, I mean, I don't even know if we should talk about this, I guess. Do you regret moving here? I, I got suckered in here uh, <laughs> through, through some, some, some fellow colleagues that are sitting at this table. Uh, By some fast-talking realtor work? Absolutely not. You know, I, I, I lived in Oregon for seven years. Uh, this is a, a version of Oregon. But again, the lake is something extremely special. It's not the uh, Pacific Ocean by any means, uh, but it has a character and defines this area in such a special way and controls the climate. It controls controls the people too. I mean, I mean, for God's sakes, I mean, we have some brutal winters up here and, and people look at you like you're absolutely freaking crazy to live on the North Shore. Uh, but... They've never been to Fargo. Well, I lived in Fargo, too. So. Yeah, so, I mean, living here is easy compared to living in Fargo. Is that where they build wood chippers? That's where they build wood chippers, yeah. thought so. They do all kinds I of saw weird the shit. I too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, well, it's not Wisconsin. That's the problem here. Did you ever think you would end up here? Absolutely not. That, Minnesota, if you, you, you said, uh, give me... Last ten places in the country, I probably live in Mississippi. For I, you would have put Minnesota on my list, and I've I've lived in a lot of places. I've lived in nine different states, fourteen different towns, cities, and uh, from Hawaii to Texas to New York, uh, Oregon, and all over the country, and traveled all over the country. And shockingly, amazingly. I'll sit there and go like, how the hell did I end up in Minnesota? And I'll blame Athena and uh, Thor Thor over there for wrangling me in here. What a sucker I am. Well, 
Temperature is a big indicator here. I'm a polar bear. I love this place. Well, if, oh, you, if, sure. if you take if you take the temperatures here along the lake, obviously as you go up the hill, they're warmer in the summertime. But you can take the temperatures here, and I always look at the map into Canada and how far north into Canada you have to go before you get the same temperature in Canada as you get here. You have to get near the Arctic Circle in order to get the same summer temperatures that we well, have. Well, you know, even that temperature from our location here relative to the lake to going up to Gunflint is is 10 to 15 degrees difference yep. depending on in the in the snowfall yeah. and the yep. rain and yep. I, I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's a very unusual climate here, and yep. again, it comes to the lake. Yeah, I agree. And people people that come here in the summertime, we'll, we'll be sitting here complaining about how hot it is because it got to 76. And people will look at us and laugh because they just came from Kansas City where it was 104 or came from southern Minnesota where it was 102. And, and they need and a sweatshirt. And, and we're complaining yeah. about the heat because it's 74 or 76 degrees. Best day in Lutzen. 45 degrees, sunny, and no wind. And Absolutely no, the best day And ever. no flying chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> why do they go for your face? Is, is your face saltier? Like, why is, do they go I, for I your face? Is, uh, it could be a CO2 They're not issue. hanging. Oh, yeah, CO2. Absolutely. I mean, it it, it yep. probably is like mosquitoes. The it's more you puff, the more you're they blow. <laughs> so just hold your breath when you're outside, and you'll be fine. If, I, if, I have if, found that alcohol if you're, consumption. Like, just hold your breath. Shut if up. If you're dead, they don't bother you. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is. <laughs> if, if you're blowing point, point 0.4. Yeah. Whatever it is, 0. 0.8, what is it? Right, 0.08. 0.08, yeah. uh, they do stay away. The only disease that can survive in my you bloodstream is alcoholism. I'm testing that. I'll right test it now. gardening we're, next we're, time. He's yes. testing that theory now. He's not gardening. You you do that and go out and get the... For another bottle of scotch, I will go out, out there and, and start blow weeding off. And we'll see <laughs> if that works. On behalf of myself... Dr. B, Athena, and Thor. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Area 61 podcast. We're always here to remind you that it might not be a bad idea to take one look over your shoulder.